0: Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comic 2000 AD. I'm Eamon Clark and he's back for a spectacular fifth time. It's the official art correspondent for this podcast it is the return of the Macam, pete wells back in the book club pete oh i'm naked <laughs> as ever <Pete. laughs> yes i've had to turn my webcam um, so pete, north.
1: <laughs>
0: we've had you on as i say with four times before so we've heard you know obviously way back in uh doing America, we heard your two thousand a d origin story. you prog one of you yep yeah? um what's the uh recent news in two thousand a d or recent acquisitions or events um that's sort of like setting you uh setting giving you the buzz at the moment for two
1: thousand a d Well, just yesterday there was a new mobile game released. Just completely by surprise, called the Judge Dread Crime Files for your your mobile phones. And I quite enjoyed playing that yesterday. It was good. All right. It's kind of like a turn taking card game where you get to slap various perps around. It's, it, it looks really nice. Um, and I spent, yeah, a good hour or so playing it yesterday in my lunch break, and thoroughly enjoyed myself. I was Judge Dread.
0: Uh huh. Fantastic. <laughs> no, I don't, I'm, I must confess, I haven't downloaded it because, uh, you know, I can't do games, unfortunately. <laughs> um, there's quite a few new games out at the moment. There's some Warlord miniatures out as well, I think, aren't there? Or at least they're uh, up for order now.
1: Yeah, and they look lovely, don't they?
0: They do look grand, don't they? Yes. Uh, I'm very tempted. I mean, you know, obviously, we've had a few gaming experts on the podcast yeah. um, talking about it. So, yeah, it's an interesting time, actually. There's card games, as you know, as you say, the the mobile game, the
1: miniatures games out. It's great stuff. It is. Um, and the other thing I'm excited for is uh, Thought Bubbles coming up, and it's in Harrogate this year. So, I'll be going along there and trying to avoid all the people that I've upset over the year in the various art competitions.
0: (laughs) Well, this episode will drop on the Sunday morning of Thought Bubble. So if you listen to this on the day of release, Pete and I are at Thought Bubble, where he is on a charm offensive, (laughs) giving back uh, all the people he's upset with various entries to uh, Droctober.
1: If this is on the day of release, I suspect... Um, with me force powers, I can say that I'll probably have a very bad headache when this releases, and a legendary hangover.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: From the mid-con party the night
1: before. Yes.
0: Excellent stuff. So, yes, if, uh, if you're at Thought Bubble, come and say hello to Pete and myself. <laughs> very quietly. <laughs> <laughs> quietly for Pete. Uh, we'll see. Okay, Pete, so... We started you off with America, obviously. We've done uh, Button Man. We've done PJ Maybe. We did the covers book. Uh, We've never had you on for a mega epic. Tell us, what
1: have you chosen for your fifth visit to the book club? (laughs) It's a controversial one, but I've chosen Judgment Day.
0: Fantastic. (laughs) It is controversial. We'll get to that in a moment. Let's do version control. I've got the Hachette hardback in front of me, which was volume 37. I forget which issue that was. but uh, So I've got that with a Carlos cover, one of his black and white commissions that he did that they used for the, um, some of the Hachette covers. What, there, there
1: was a Titan edition as well, I think. Yes, there the was.
0: Well, what have you got in front
1: of you? Um, I've got the Hachette one as well all ah, right which okay. is great because it's got top dogs in and we couldn't do this without discussing that of course
0: so let's say that's top dogs from the judge dread annual uh, 1991 yep then it features judgment day which ran in progs 786 to 799 and the magazine 2.04 to 2.09 and then there's a sort of um Add-on story at the end, the kind of dead man from eight prog eight one six. So, shall we do the credit card? Yes. Obviously, this uh, John Wagner starts us off with Top Dogs, which is by uh, also by uh, Colin McNeil, and then we get Garth Ennis taking over to write Judgment Day, and then throughout the book we'll also be looking at art by Pete Doherty, Carlos Escara, Dean Ormiston chris halls and anthony williams lettered by tom frame and kid robson and this was edited by richard burton at the time so pete first of all as you say this is a slightly controversial one nobody has offered to do judgment day um why have you picked it
1: um i think it gets a bad rap i don't think it's as bad as people remember um, it does have some faults, which we will discuss in this podcast. Um, but in the main, it's an incredibly tense story that ramps up and ramps up the tension. The stakes are really high, maybe it's too high at times, but we'll get we'll get into that. Um, and it's it's a, a rare chance for dread and Johnny Alpha to meet the two greatest characters of the prog, for them to meet and I have to say in this I think Garth Ennis writes Dread absolutely brilliantly. I think it, we'll we'll get on to why it has such a bad rap later on I know but I think um, it's partly because of its the timing of it. It's a product of its time. It was in the 90s when Two thousand a d had arguably lost its way a little bit, and we were in that second wave of creators and editors, importantly, um so lots of people were learning on the jobs, and you know we weren't having some of those giants of the industry producing some of the goods, um but arguably we did have some future giants of the industry producing some really sort of readable work. And it, stacking it alongside some of the other epics, including some of the, you know, the Golden Age epics, I would much rather read Judgment Day than Cursed Earth, perhaps. Oh, right. So okay. there we go. Yeah, controversial
0: <laughs> choice. <laughs> okay, so before we get into some of the sort of issues around Judgment Day, uh, and some of the controversies. What about the sort of brief outline of the setup and the plot? Because you mentioned, obviously, this is uh, this does feature, um, you know, as you say, probably the two most memorable creations by John and Carlos, and yeah. uh, in the prog. So it does feature both
1: Dread and Alpha. Tell us about the setup of Judgment Day. Well, I'm going to tell you about the the setup of the this Hachette collection because, as I said, it has um, those three stories in, and it starts with a story called Top Dogs, and as you said, that was in the 1991 Dread Annual, and that was um, Dread and Johnny's first ever meeting, and it's a brilliant three-part story written by John Wagner, Um beautiful, fully painted America-esque artwork by Colin McNeil, um, and it's a fabulous story, one of my all-time favourites. Um, as I said, it's it's a really tightly written three-parter. And in the first part, we have a very intriguing setup where there are obviously some um, time shenanigans going on in, in Mega City 1. The, the plot's not linear, so we're um, seeing Dread investigating crimes We're getting flashbacks to the crimes. And it sort of cinematically doesn't show you that it's Johnny and Wolf yet just gives you little clues um, and then the middle part of the Top Dogs story um, Dread and Alpha collide and it's absolutely brilliant, the best of of dread action you could ever wish for. It had car chases and an amazing fight between dread and Johnny. There was nudity. There was, um, the Stern Hammer silencer sock in the mouth <laughs> action, um, yes. which is always a favorite. And then the end of the story saw a brilliant Wagner intelligent twist where Johnny was able to, to leave a, a letter in the bank vault of a, a lawyer, um, and then be zapped from <laughs> trouble at the last minute from the future. It was very back of a future too, but it was a just such a wonderful story. So Dread lost his man at the end. Um, and it, it's important for judgment day, but I'm so happy that that story's in this collection that we're talking about today because it's very important and it's one of my favorite tales, as I said. But that leads us to Judgment Day. Um okay. <laughs> and Judgment Day, having read it again, um it's kind of easy to to split it into four acts. So we'll begin in the Cursed Earth and Dreads taking a, a group of year twelve cadets on a hot dog run. And um what I yep, and what I loved about this um Good old Garth Ennis as well, because he's what I like about Garth is he was obviously a, a big fan, and then he said himself in many interviews that was a blessing and a curse, I think, because sometimes he was overwhelmed by the um what he was writing about, the the, the nature of, of the work he was writing about. But in that hot dog run, you had um Cadets Giant and Eckerson and Santando who were all necropolis, you know, they were the cadets from necropolis so that was a lovely little tip of the hat back to to me favorite mega epic um so dreads got these cadets out on a um a hot dog run and they have to go to a mining station um that they've lost contact with and this was possibly one of my favorite ever beginnings to a story because it's really scary so they go to the the mining um, outpost, and sure enough, all of the miners have disappeared, and they have to go down the mines to to try and track them down. And before long, one of the cadets is attacked and killed by a zombie. And then the you know this was long before the Walking Dead comic as well we had a load of zombies coming and, and attacking and dread and the the cadets. Um, so that's how it kicks off um, halfway across the world we get introduced to the bad guy who's called Sabat and he's a necrogomist so somebody that messes about with the dead um, and magic and get into breaking the story benefits and faults down later on, he's a weak bad guy, I must say he's a lot like, having read it again recently I was struck by, um, again, I think a product of his time. I think he's Jim Carrey. <laughs> oh, right. <Okay. laughs> so he's very sort of Ace Ventura pet detective-y. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> There's a bit yeah. some of his dialogues like, all righty then, and yes. all of this kind of stuff. And and when I read it this time, I thought, oh, my goodness, it's Jim Carrey. <laughs> uh, but we'll get introduced to him, and he's somewhere – Halfway across the world and we'll see him um with some truly awful dialogue tell the world that he's gonna make it sit up and beg and rock and roll and it's, it's awful um, but I like the design of him he's, he has a um a cloak made out of skinned faces that he's reanimated and he can have little chats with his his cloak and I quite liked that um but yeah. it, it does get a little tedious as the as the book goes on. So back to the, um, the action in the, the mining station. Dred runs off on a cool little solo mission to find the comms tower to request backup because the, uh, the zombies are overrunning them. And I love this little bit, um, as he finds the sort of comms room, we we'll see a, a half a zombie crawl onto Dred's boot and he just blasts it in the face and goes off and 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 what I liked about this epic is that Ennis writes dread so well he's very, very close to Wagner, I thought, and again, I'll justify that comment as as we go along, and so. Dred finds out that there's zombies cropping up all over the cursed earth and there's some really shonky tooty fruity style um, shenanigans that mean that, that they can't fly any of the H-wagons to, to go and collect them. But just as they're about to get overran, the zombies all turn and go towards the city. And that's kind of the beginning of the end of Act 1. I very much liked um, the dialogue, Dread says to the cadets you're starting at the deep end and I wondered if if that influenced the movie at all Uh, it's all deep end it's all the deep end yeah. so Dread I think is pitched perfectly meanwhile while that's going on with go over to Hondo City and we we'll see Johnny Alpha port into the Hondo City only to be attacked by uh, Chief Inspector Seadu and he was a, a recurring character from um, a while back Our Man in Hondo which was another great story written by Wagner about sleeper agents in in Japanese Hondo City so it was nice to see him back and, and I guess the joy of being a long term Dread fan and having Ennis you know an obvious fan writing. It was, there were lots of sort of Easter eggs for, for your long-term fans. Um, of course, Sidhu doesn't trust Johnny because he's ported in the same way that we find out Sabat had a few days earlier. And so they have a, a bit of a scrap as people always do in, in comics. Yes. Meanwhile, Dread and the cadets. Um, race back to this 500 miles to the city through zombie-infested, cursed earth, and that has absolutely glorious painted artwork by King Carlos himself. Um, And it's beautiful. It's some of my favourite Carlos work. Um, You know, just like Inferno, you can see how a good artist can elevate something to... (laughs) <laughs> to beyond what it what it is um and the journey back to mega city one was beautifully written i loved um Garth talks about the quiet how quiet the cursed earth was, and how all the sort of lap dogs and, and all of these are stuck in the, the in the layers then it come out and how as dread goes along he's striking only at targets of opportunity and we we'll see him just belting a zombie as he drives past on his on his bike. Again dread is pitched beautifully here um when they reach the, the West wall um dread gives a speech to the cadets where he promises them that none of you are gonna die tonight. You have my word on that. And for me that was like pure dread he was a leader, like an inspirational character, hard as nails, and I just love Garth Ennis's dialogue for for Dread. There it was it was perfect. Sadly, at the end of this, we're seeing Judge Perrier. Dredd kept his his promise to the cadets, but not to to Perrier, who was another sort of long running judge. Who um, one of the the reasons why I think Judgment Day doesn't stand as high as some epics. Um, It's because it didn't have the benefit of having lots of John Wagner breadcrumbs uh, sort right, of building right. up over years and years and years. It just kind of flopped on our laps without anything. Um, But I know that Garth Ennis had made an attempt to put Perrier in lots of his stories just before this, so our death did have some impact. So we first saw her back in the Apocalypse War, would you believe? Um but he kinda of brought her back in Babes and Arms and the Clockwork Pineapple and I think that's just this one story. So at least her death was had a little bit of impact because we had been reacquainted with her, sort of in the year or so that he'd been writing Dread. So that was um Act One. Um Right <laughs> Act Two, we tended to see the effect of the zombies in Mega City One. We got some beautiful Judge Hershey action as she um, had a bit of a, a scrap with a, a doom seer, yes. who was one of the cults that had there, uh, or a, a priest of one of the cults that had sprang up in the, the midst of this Armageddon. Um, and we got to see post Necropolis Magruder too, who was a brilliant character very very tricky to write when you've got a obviously um insane chief judge in office but at that time both john and garth wrote a brilliantly where they got away with it um and it just reminded us what a fabulous character Magruder was especially post necropolis where she was Mad as a fish, but uh, yes. <laughs> but had enough sort of clout to be able to still control the um, the the Justice Department. As I said, there wasn't that um, breadcrumb trail that lots of epics have. But what there was in this act was one of my favourite cliffhangers of all time, and that was um, we see um, Sabat he discovers the lodestone, which is where he can channel this dark power that he's got. Um, so he gives the earth a big jolt and more of the undead rise, and we get to see the 60 million that were killed in Necropolis all crawl out of the burial pits. And my goodness, I, rem- I, I still remember reading that in the prog and being so excited by it, I thought, what a brilliant cliffhanger that was. Um, and in all of this, uh, my me, me heart went out to, to poor Carlos and all the artists because there were thousands upon thousands of zombies on is, most yeah. pages and there must have been cursing, Garth and lots of the time. So I can imagine um, when Carlos got that page of, we we'll see the the giant monument um falling down and as sixty million zombies crawl out of the ground after <laughs> suspect uh that wouldn't have been a good deal for Carlos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the story is as, as you said at the start, it flip-flopped between or it didn't, it ran concurrently in the, the prog and the magazine. So all of our Johnny Alpha bits were in the Meg and most of the dread bits were in the prog so while uh, that was going on in Mega City 1 over in the the magazine we jumped back to Hondo um, and we see that Johnny uses one of his cool time bombs to escape um, Sedu and his friends and then he goes back and stops Sedu from being killed to earn his trust we also see lots of um, the terrible judges around the world dealing with (laughs) With the zombie outbreak and then they're all the, the terrible, uh, stereotypes that, that the magazine was so bad at doing. <laughs> so we've got stiff upper lip Judge Armour and we've got, uh, alcoholic Judge Joyce and all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that. That was the joy of the magazine at the time as well. We got to see judges from around the world. Unfortunately, they were all written in the most stereotypical way, but it was nice to see them all coming together in one in one story. Um, this act two of the the story has some real fantastic action with dread leading the the judges against the zombie hordes, and it felt a very apocalypse war. Yeah, it, uh, is, isn't it? it does, um, and again, with the, the sort of overwhelming odds and y- you really don't know how they're going to get out of it and just as they solve one problem, we get another. And I, I just thought it, it, it was wonderful. It was, it was as exciting to me as the apocalypse war. There we go. In this bit, Dread uh, has a massive section of the the West Wall fall on top of him, <laughs> but he recovers. He gets He's, better. Be <laughs> yeah, so, uh... um, and during that time, he has this idea of um, plugging the gaps in the wall with riot foam and setting fire to it, um, burning the zombies, and that seems to work. And that buys. Um, so Dred has the idea of burning the entire West Wall, and that will buy them two or three days. Before they'll be overrun, and I liked that sort of. That was the the clock ticking, so it was real high stakes. Um, during this time, we we'll see Judge Decker, who was a the best cadet Red had ever had, and then oh no, yeah, uh, and and she um, she bites the bullet, and it. It was a sad moment, and I wished um she was just sort of brought back in out of the blue, whereas Garth had took his time to sort of reintroduce Perrier, who was a new character. oh, it wasn't a new character, but he sort of reintroduced her, and it would have been great if he'd, he'd had dread working with Decker on a few cases just to kind of bring her back into everyone's consciousness before he offed her. It would have made the, her death a lot more... um uh, affecting, but instead it was just kind of oh, there's Degga, oh, <laughs> they yeah. just dead. But Dread's so angry at that, that's what spurs them on to, for them to burn the wall. Um, back in Hondo, we we'll see their solution, and they're going to use massive sonic cannons to um, vibrate the zombies to death. <laughs> um, but again, they use up loads of power so. We discover that Hondo City's only got two or three days to find a solution, or um, it's game over as well. Um, and they decide that they're going to have a massive international meeting of judges. And by now, Sido and Johnny are best of friends, and uh, Johnny asks if Dred's going to be at this meeting. And of course he is. Um, and Johnny poops his pants. <laughs> so that was... Action packed act two, really, really liked it. And then act three is, um, is the, the international meeting of the judges. So judges from all over the, the, the planet meet up in Hondo, um, and decide what they're gonna do. One of my favorite dread moments ever happened just before though. Or one of my favorite, um, dread shops, should I say locations. Um, before they leave, they get called a Jackie Bilebag's Bag's Hop Shoppery, where the where the one legged mega hops to shop, and it's like a trouser shop for people with one leg, and it's just ridiculous, but it, it really makes us laugh. And his dread gets called there because uh, that's uh, the, the zombies getting into the city through the the hop shoppery. Um, Spencer, who was another sort of recurring character, he gets killed in that. Um, but then Magruder shows up and saves the day and tells them that they're off to Hondo to meet, um, all of the other judges. While Magruder's gone, Judge Hershey gets to be acting Chief Judge. So she gets her first taste of being Chief Judge. So an important moment in Dread history.
0: Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Shape of things to come. Yeah.
1: So, um, Dread and Alpha's meeting it in Hondo City, it certainly didn't disappoint me. There's some fabulous dialogue from Garth again. Uh, Dread asking Johnny, so what happened to the fat creep? Is he here too? And obviously, by then, Wolf's been killed by Max Bubba. So Alpha says, he had a name, damn it. His name was Wolf Sternhammer. And Tread says, that's his problem. <laughs> I
0: love that. Trend. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Love love the dialogue. Um, and at the summit, the judges figure out that um, Sabat is using the earth power, which we've seen in things like Chopper, the song lines in Song of the Surfer, um, the dragon lines in, I think, of geomacy or something. Um so that the you know, um they've been established in different stories. So again it was nice Easter eggs for the, the long term fans. During the meeting Sabat kinda shows up <laughs> and offers all the judges of the world um an easy way out. He tells them that lots of this mega cities are overrun um and he's gonna unleash the zombies on the rest of the world unless the cities want to just gas themselves and save them the bother. Dredd shoots him in the head <laughs> and, he just picks, he yep. <laughs> and he just picks the bullet out and flicks it away in a lovely little sequence by Peter Doherty. Um and then Dredd does a, a bit of a cheesy Independence Day style speech um, and instead of rolling over the decide to nuke Megacity 2 and, and lots of the mega cities that have been overrun. Um, that should have been a bigger moment than it was. I think they did it all in about one page. do, don't they? Yeah, page and a half. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's one of the faults of the story. So you, you have some really tense and tightly scripted, brilliant little character moments. Then you have these huge defining moments that just kind of get shown on a page and a half, and whoop, that's it. It's a bit of, um, you know, in the, the Star Wars film where Hosnian Prime gets blown up, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, what was that? Where did that come from? Yeah, <laughs> it reminded us a little bit of that. Um, following the main, we do get um Chris Hall's... As, one and only um, piece of comic work or strip work in, in the prog. And that's when Dread um, has a reckoning with Johnny and Seadu. And I remember the controversy at the time. Everybody slated, uh Chris Halls or Chris Cunningham as he is now um, for being a Bisley clone. Um, but my God, what a Bisley clone he was. <laughs> and everyone at the time was, and I think he was the best. But I loved that sequence of, of Dread absolutely um kicking the tar out of Seadu and and Johnny.
0: And he's gone on to be uh a, a film director, hasn't he?
1: Yes, uh. Uh-huh.
0: made videos and he's worked on um a bunch of movies, including the uh the ninety-five Stallone Dread.
1: Yes, and he saw the main machine and lots of the cool designs, the cooler designs for that film tended to be Chris, so he was a a good one in my book. did a fabulous cover as well for the magazine of dread restraining an old lady with a chainsaw. It was
0: perfect. Uh, (laughs) Um, It popped up on
1: Facebook in the last day or two. Oh, right. One of the Droptober covers, I think. Ah, there you go. (laughs) Um, But I loved that. Um, So I don't know if you recall the... Our man in Hondo story, Eamon. But, but Dred had gone to, to Hondo City years before there'd been some kind of industrial accident. Um, and Mega City One had a sleeper agent in, in Hondo City. As they did, yeah. As they did. Um, and it set him off on a kind of murderous rampage. <laughs> so Dread has to go and sort of diplomatically silence him without being caught, and he does. And Seedu's their best, um, deistic ballad champion. And he, um, challenges Dred to a, a fight at the end, and he knocks him out and then hits him with. Them. I'm remembering all this. It's a long time since I've read it. Um, but then gives him a truth serum or something to find out why Dred was really there, but that. It turns out Dread lost on purpose and that um, anticipated this so Dredd had took a anti true through drug and sort of got away with it. But it was um it was a great little story. So it was nice that, that Dredd got to, to take the one again and this time Whoopum <laughs> Um and I know that that, that some people would criticise Dread pasting these two big characters in three pages, but that was very necessary because immediately after that, they find out where Sabat is, and they need a judge to lead a squad of judges on a suicide squad. And of course, um it's got to be Dread because he's the hardest out of out of everyone. And Sido and, and Johnny have to admit that because he's just kicked the heads in yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. in Justice One. And then that leads us to the big finale, Act 4. So this is the suicide mission. And this has some of my very, very, very favourite Dread moments and some of my most excruciatingly worst Dread moments all in the same little I package <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I might see what it's oh yes. Um so Dread leads the suicide mission and it's Garth Ennis in full on World War 2 comic mode yeah. so it's really good the parachute in and it's fabulous um, they're in these big battle suits slicing through all, all the zombies it's really great of course the, um, the judge from uh, Quida, Baron Keeler he Gets blown off course and flies straight into Sabat's hideout, and and he sells the judges out because they're always was the bad guys, the Banana City judges. Oh so when <laughs> and of course Johnny sneaks into this mission because Dread wasn't going to allow him. Dread doesn't allow him to come, but he manages to to sneak aboard the mission. Um, so when Dread gets there, that's when it all goes a bit wrong. Um, we're introduced to the truly awful Charnax, which are like huge giant zombies that Sabat has crafted together, which leads to one of my least favourite things in comics, and that's singing. (laughs) I hate it. I wondered when we get to that. I hate it. Looking at me, me absolute hero, Mr. Wagner is guilty of some terrible he is, crimes. Yes, he
0: likes a bit of singing, doesn't yep.
1: he? The the clegs could have been terrifying but were ruined by slicey dicey nicey runcy dicey um that whole Robo Hunter story. I think, That's all in song. Yeah. Awful. When when DC were doing dread, the the they had their fairly ropey dread reimagining going on but then they had legends of the law which were sort of four issue little mini epic things 32 pages four issues each where you got like stories from quite big writers and, and for me that's like a gift that could have we could have seen some of the most amazing stories ever there um and the first one it was um Wagner and Grant wrote it and it was like a lit reunion for them and that had loads of singing in it and I was like why it's, it must be more fun to write than it is to read especially if you've got to second guess the song that, you, <laughs> that you're reading and especially when many of us read certainly the earlier stories. We hadn't heard of half the songs, because they were all kind of songs from musicals and, you know, <laughs> oh, awful. I just hate it. The first ever Heavy Metal Dread strip was a song. And I was like, why do you keep doing this? I hate it. <laughs> and, <laughs> why is it still a thing? Yeah. But, so we had the, the, the Charnax, or Karnax, however you see it, um, singing I'm the King of the Swingers, It was awful. It was awful. And they didn't even do anything other than (laughs) they just appeared, got sang a really bad song and then got shot. Yes so the, the the only things that we took from it was we've got a lovely two panels where Dread uses high X and Johnny uses a number four cartridge that was nice um, and we'll see, see do Gary's arm lopped off but other than that there was no reason for them to be in other than it just totally ruined this, uh, this story for me and then they were quickly followed by some ridiculous little skull things with
0: <laughs> that hadn't, skulls had yeah, goals, like sort of hands for legs,
1: yeah, and they hadn't been seen anywhere in the in the story, uh, and you kind of get the impression that Garth must have got so far through and then got bored or sick or just, and it just all goes badly. So those terrible things come and they overpower the the remaining judges and they drag them to, to Sabat. Then we get Sabat's backstory which is cringingly awful um, as he introduces us to Dennis who just appeared that was like a zombie Dennis the Menace that again hadn't been seen anywhere else in the story. Sabat was always on his own with his daft cloak of, of faces and we get this whole backstory of how Sabat was Walter the softy, and Dennis the Menace was bullying him so he killed him and and Turned so, him into his first zombie. Yeah, and it's it's just awful. It's awful. But getting past that, um we get to the end. Um so Sabat um, captures the three remaining judges, which is the one-armed Seidu and Johnny and and Dread, um, and he's going to kill them by death of a thousand cuts or as many cuts as possible. Before he can do that, Seidu manages to chop his way out of his his binds and run towards this Lord Stone, which is powered by blood. Um And we get to see how hard Seidu is because uh, in a really nasty. Little sequence: uh, Sabat goes ribs, eyes, heart, and we see he's just <laughs> ribs exploding through his chest, his heart flying out, his eyes flying out. But he manages to make it to the Lord Stone, and he gets the power of the Lord Stone, and he gets to um, to beat Sabat. That means that Dredd and Alpha can kick the tar out of power Sabat. And again, is is Sabat's. Dialogue. He is awful. Where he's going? Not the face. Is it over? Like such a a poor bad guy. We get some of. For me, Garth Ennis is the only bad dread dialogue. One of the the things about Ennis that, that used to drive us insane was he took curse words and and would always had them in dread. So would always had drock and would always had storm and grud and all of that, but um Ennis made them more explicitly swear words, so storm was always sort of the S word, and i being very good at Dean. um drock was always the F word, so if somebody was a little drocker, it was just like, it was very undread, like dread wouldn't speak like that, Wagner's dread wouldn't really speak like that, and we got lots of that in this little fight sequence. Uh, but we did get some nice violence from Dread and Alpha as they both uh, got the revenge on Sabat for what he'd done to the respective planets. Which leads us to the last part, which contains two of the greatest Dread moments ever. All in the one issue of um, the one prog of 2000 AD. And that was page one of the last part um, where you see Dread is lying on the floor after Sabat's turned into some kind of octopus and smashed his visor in um, and it says, beyond honour there is duty, beyond duty obsession, beyond obsession insanity, and beyond that there is only Judge Dredd, and you've got this cool image of Dredd lying there, um, sort of coming to and he's going to have another go, even though it's hopeless. And I just love that. And when I compare that dialogue to some of sort of Pat's early dread dialogue, I think there's no comparison. So that's moment number one. That's one of my all-time faves. And then Alpha uses his weird eyes to... um put this vision of the Grim Reaper flying towards Sabat, but of course it's Dread who decapitates Sabbat for the second time <laughs> um, and puts his head on the lodestone um, which will sustain Sabat forever and Sabat will sustain the lodestone. One of the reasons why Earth couldn't win apparently is if they destroyed that lodestone the Earth would have uh, exploded or something. <laughs> um yeah. So, bat's so beaten, which leads us to the other, one of the other greatest dread moments of all time, which is uh, that classic last page of Dread and Alpha stepping out into the cursed earth and Dread asking who the hell's going to mess with us. And uh, there endeth <laughs> Judgment Day. <date.
0: laughs> Fantastic. Core. Poor blimey. Yeah, you've taken us right the way through.
1: Yes, I couldn't bear not do.
0: (laughs) So, Pete, why do we have dread mega epics? What is it about the dread uh, stories and mythos over the years that brings out these great epics from time to
1: time? I think um, in the early days, there were established the world didn't they but then they, they culled the world a little bit didn't they, they, they realised that they needed some significant change um, I think at, at this time in our, in Dread's life and with the editorial teams that were that were running the, the magazines at the time, these were more sort of commercial things weren't they trying to get new readers in um, by ramping the steaks up and killing as many people as they could it was um, very much the American model wasn't it of we need this big epic we need to generate some publicity um, a good epic will change Dread's world forever and and you'll have like fallout that will then shape the rest of the stories for months or even years to come which leads us to the next one the are a brilliant way of evolving Dread's world aren't there um, which is why you know, if <laughs> if they come and they have a limited impact afterwards, then they fall a bit flat. Yes,
0: they need to make changes in the yes. world. Don't uh,
1: they? Yes, yeah. So this one for me, I really liked. I thought for me, this is epic on an epic scale. It was on a worldwide scale. Now I love dreads quieter epics as well, that are more personal, um, but this one. I like that bringing the world together, and I seem to remember reading in other interviews um, in in the back of this this collection, there's an, an interview with Garth and he's seen he can't remember John's input into into the story particularly well. I seem to remember it was John that suggested some kind of worldwide crisis where judges um, work together. And I think that was maybe the extent of of John's input. Um, And I like that. I like that aspect of the story. For me, you know, this is the tension was great in this and the sense of urgency. The stakes were really high when Ennis wasn't blown it. Um, You know, he managed to, for me, get us really invested in that story. I remember being excited week to week to see what was going to happen but then sometimes you blew it, like destroying all those cities in a page in a bit and then it was just all a bit flat.
0: I mean, there are, as you say, there are great moments. You know, I mean, I'm looking at them now and their samurai-inspired battle suits dropping into action. As you say, very much the Ennis sort of, you know, the, uh, the sort of um, the Dirty Dozen, the Suicide yeah. demolition crew going into action. Mm-hmm. And then there are moments when it's, I think when he, you know, perhaps sometimes he tries for some very broad comedy um and it yeah. falls flat in the places, doesn't it? And the most, as you say, the most glaring example is wasting Carlos, I think, yeah, on the episode where they've got uh, comedy zombies that sing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> which does seem somewhat out of place, you know, completely in this uh, mega epic, but mm-hmm. there you go. What about? I mean, you know, you've mentioned Sabat himself. He's perhaps not the most memorable of villains. His introduction is good, but as he goes on, he just becomes a bit, again, a bit more wacky and yeah. um, doesn't
1: quite give us what we want in a sort of mega villain. Mm-hmm. And his his motivations were never clear throughout the whole the whole thing. He was just bad for for being bad. Seek. There was no. He, he didn't tell you why. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he wanted to. To take over the world or why he'd, he'd, he'd killed that other, what was it, Bethesda or something, the other, the world that he'd, he'd killed. Um, and there was no, there was nothing. He'd, and his backstory was just horrible, as, as I said. Um, and yeah, like reading it now, I think he was sort of heavily influenced by Jim Carey, Pet Detective. <laughs> reading his, uh, reading his dialogue, just, terrible
0: i mean he's got you know when particularly when carlos draws and paints him he's got a great look to him with his uh um his weird sort of skeletal shoulder
1: yeah and then
0: that cloak of faces that Mm -hmm. he talks to
1: is great but yeah yeah i guess if he'd been um portrayed as a really dark villain You know, we could have it could have been amazing. We could have had another Judge Death on our hands, couldn't we? You know, an even worse Judge Death because some of the things in the in the story are quite dark and scary. And and if he'd been painted with a much darker brush, I think he would have been a, a lot more memorable. The fact that he's so camp and wacky just ruins him.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm stuck with the idea of Jim Carrey playing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Now, this is the first sort of the epics that crosses over with the newly minted, uh, well, I suppose it was in volume two by this stage, the magazine. Yeah. Isn't uh-huh. it? yeah. How well does that
1: work? Well, I remember at the time lots of people complaining about it. I didn't really mind it. I thought it was written well enough the fact that Johnny's bits were in the Meg, and Dred's bits tended to be in um, the Prog, that if you didn't buy both, you didn't miss out too much. At that time, uh, I was thinking about this. It's, it's a bit freaky. This was kind of pre-Internet. Yes. So I guess not a lot of people would have bought the magazine and just the magazine, you know? I think yeah. people have either bought just the Prog or they'll have bought the Prog and the Meg. I doubt there'll have been many buying just the Meg. I think if you bought just the Meg, then you would have been a bit short But I, I liked it. I think it added to it, that it was running in, in both magazines and they kind of added to each other. The story was a, a much richer experience. I remember the readership at the time, Hated it. I thought that they were being held a ransom and, and being forced to buy both um, magazines. But I never minded because I bought everything. <laughs> I bought everything dread. <laughs> um, and I, I do think it, it worked all right. Um, but I mean, that complaint does come up, you know, frequently
0: whenever there's a crossover. Yeah. Um, and obviously, for, you know, for you know, for us 2000 AD fans, the only crossovers really is between 2000 AD and the Meg. Yeah. Um, and whenever it happens, I know you know people do say the same complaints they didn't want to be forced to buy the Meg. Yeah. And yeah, I remember it at the time. There was, and of course, the what the other one I remember is Wilderland's, which hasn't been chosen yet. Yeah. For the the book club, but you know there was again, uh, I think particularly at Wilderland's there was that feeling that the magazine episodes didn't really move the plot along because yeah. I think they were having to assume that some people wouldn't be reading the Meg ones and mm-hmm. therefore they couldn't have major events happening there yeah. each
1: time. So I think with with Wilderlands John hadn't been as smart as, as Garth here where where you had those two separate storylines, those two separate locations um, I think near the end of Wilderlands, it was a lot more focused on, was she, Castillo? It was the, the, yes, that's the, the right. Focused yeah. on her a bit more. Yeah. John was better later on when he did Doomsday, and we had sort of all of the DeMarco stuff going on in the Meg, and we had the the main story going on in, in the Prague. But I think Judgment Day did it better than Wilderlands, but then maybe the other one did it better than Judgment Day. Right. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But for me, yeah, for me at the time, I think it worked. I was more than happy that it was in both.
0: What about this period when Garth Ennis is sort of, you know, staking his claim on Dread, John's done Necropolis and he's moved away perhaps to the magazine himself,
1: um, and to other projects. Well, it's uh, it's hard, isn't it? I'm like, how does anyone fill Wagner's tight boots? Yeah. And he was a young lad, only been writing a short time. Um, and you know, like he, he gets a lot of stick, but you know, if you go back and read Case Files Number One, some of those stories are awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so everyone has to find the fate. Having to find your feet after after John Wagner's just it's, it's an impossible task. In terms of Garth's work as a whole, um, I really liked his longer form strips. So lots of his one offs were absolutely awful, and he was too much into pop culture and feeling like he had to, you know, he had to put all his favorite bands in the in the into the comic, which. Was just stupid because,
0: <laughs> as Matt Smith says in the introduction here, Twin Peaks and Edward Scissorhands,
1: yeah, all of those were, were awful. But then his longer ones that were more character-based and, and were known now, like what a phenomenal writer he is, um, and one of the best character writers in in the industry. Um, some of those were brilliant. Like Death Aid was great. Could have been. Um, Wagner and Grant, Easy Return of the King was brilliant. Raider was phenomenal. Twilight's Last Gleaming was, was really nice. And the Marshal and Goodnight Kiss, they were, like, I'd listed just a couple of his longer ones that have got some really great characterizations in, but then all of his shorter ones, like, I put Teddy Chopper amidst Teddy Bears, Firefight, Music Killer. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think this This book sums up his career very well. So it starts with Wagner at the top of his game, writing Top Dogs. And then it's followed by Judgment Day, which is a long-form, pretty good, pretty passable um, story that has some great character moments in. And then that one-off at the end of this book, the kind of dead man's absolutely dire and it's like that this book sums up Ennis's dread career, I think, which is why I was pleased that we chose it.
0: Let's turn from writing to artwork. Um, you've got a mega epic, we've got, uh, multiple artists this time. We've talked, you mentioned Acropolis, we mentioned the Apocalypse War, both had the benefits of being, you know, mostly Carlos yeah or uh, all carlos for the apocalypse war and so on and um, what about here where we've got multiple artists how well does it work
1: i think it works well enough as as i said earlier it was a strange time the 90s um so i think i feel for power dean Ormston who was right at the start of his career and his work i think while combatant is kind of really variable in his last his last part's terrible. You know, lots of faces in shadow and his blue palette got really tiresome and he used to do loads of um, aerial sort of shots that used to drive us insane at the time. But I failed for him because, it was, you know, it was right at the start of his, his career. Similarly, Peter Doherty does a great job, but I know he said he got sick halfway through. He was sick of drawing zombies. Um, right. but he was, again, he was pretty much at the start. He'd, he'd done, um, Young Death, and I think he'd done Justice One, and then he was into this. And some of his artwork's great. I love his, his early parts are brilliant. And it, he does a combatant job, but Carlos just, he just bosses it, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? It's fantastic. And because of the swashbuckling, action packed nature of it as well, it, it, it just lends to, to his style, and we we'll get Johnny and Dread together. It's just, it, it's wonderful. <laughs> and and with the zombies at the start, we've got like a touch of Necropolis, and it was just, a, it was Carlos' greatest hits. I loved it. And then out this little package, we've got some fully painted McNeil in there as well. It's just, it's just great. But yes, in an ideal world, I would like mean, mega epics to be done by the same artist, I guess. Um, but I think it just about gets away with it.
0: It does it does feel like, uh, I don't know, slipping into comfortable shoes whenever Carlos comes back on, yeah. doesn't it? And it just feels like, oh yeah, here we go again. This is it. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean the other thing the other thing I have a slight problem with is that I can never quite I mean even though Top Dogs is great, but I can never quite get uh, behind Johnny Alpha when he's drawn by anybody other than Carlos. Yeah. I mean, I think perhaps sensibly in a way in Top Dogs, Colin McNeil has him has Johnny Alpha in plain clothes. In his suit. Yeah, yeah, in his suit. So that works. But for the rest of the book, it's um, you know when he's drawn by Carlos, you think, oh yeah, that's right, that's how it should yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's every the character. Time. Yeah.
1: Is his introduction from Armstead is all right? But then as it goes on it just it gets a bit worse, doesn't it? And there's a particular panel that, that really makes us cringe. We've got um the the classic page in Top Dogs of the the big splash page where Dred's punching Johnny um by McNeil. And that's like one of my favourite pages ever. And I hate the boast, but I actually own that page. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's just about when you'll get out that page. Um, you have that stunning image, and then in the part where um, Johnny asks if Dred's going to be at the meeting, you get a, a Dean Ormston sort of dread beating Johnny up, and it's just—it's like men and boys. It's a awful sort of panel and you just think oh my word like that's the gulf and then you know every scene that that carlos draws is just perfect
0: yeah <laughs> i mean the you know this you've mentioned some of the c- recurring characters as we go along because you know this epic does feature magruder the yep. she's in there decker's last stand judge perrier's last stand and when carlos gets to draw them all it's just like you know Oh yeah, that's what the characters look like, it yeah. seems to me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and but also Carlos's design on the sort of samurai battle suits I love.
1: Well. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. He's he's amazing. <laughs>
0: so Dave Healy did necropolis with with me, and of course Dave Healy, as you know one of the admins of on the yep. 1977 to 2000 AD group, he wanted to know what Pete Wells would think about Sabbat's um, pseudopods when he turns into the, the octopus fall. <laughs>
1: um, yes, very hen isn't it? Um, yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and um, sadly, by that, <laughs> by that point as well, you're just thinking, what? <laughs> yes. So... And that's gone from, but that's the, the charnax and the little dinky scrolls on the, <laughs> on head on fingers or whatever. And Dennis the Menace. And then he, yeah, this strange kind of octopus, phallic, sexy thing. Ah, it's such a shame because he does such a good job building all this up only to, uh, <laughs> to bloat. But it is sexy. And again, though, um, when Carlos does it, because I'm just looking at it now, and when Carlos does it, it looks all right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I used to... um, It's it's one of my biggest regrets. I used to own that cover of 799, which was... It's at the back of this book, isn't it? Yeah, it's Dredd and Sabat and uh, Johnny and the big... The Reaper. The Reaper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That went to Julius...
0: Ah, did it? Oh, it did.
1: Okay. But he, he makes them look cool and scary on there. But then, yeah. you know, <laughs> some of the other depictions, not so good. <laughs> but yes, I found it sexy in okay. the answer to Dave's question. <laughs> <laughs> While we're at the back of the book looking at the covers,
0: there's, of course, 796, which is a copy oh, of Jordan and Dredd. Yes. Um, that's a great moment. Amazing. I like Peter Doherty's cover for... Yes. Um, uh seven eight six, which is the zombie wearing the Oh
1: yeah. Helmet. I do, but I always loved the um the tagline for the other one. Uh, seven nine eight dread K O or D O E That's uh pure covers uncovered <laughs> Punnage there. <laughs> Top punage. Yep. <laughs> um, but, okay, so. but yes, the art, yeah, variable, but stands up just about.
0: Okay, so you've mentioned that this book contains some of your favourite dread moments, and you've been through th- some of them, and you've also done, you know, that it includes some questionable dread moments, shall we say? Yeah, <laughs> moments that make you cringe. Um, I do. I, I'm really sort of bothered by the singings, the comedy zombies. Yeah. Right? Just when the stakes had been so
1: high at yeah. stage. You know, uh, the like, world on the brink. I was really enjoying rereading it for this. Thinking, now oh, this is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, right. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, any other bits that you wanted to particularly pick out before I ask you about some more Grail
1: pages? I just think a couple of little notes that, that I don't think were touched on. I think that one of the one of the, the blessings of this is that it's that rare chance to see Dredd and Alpha together. Um, and Ennis more than gets away with it. Like the, the dialogue between them, the relationship between them is spot on. It's, it's sort of pure Wagner for me. And I'd argue that it was more successful than John's second attempt. You know, the, the more recent 40th anniversary meeting between Dredd and yeah, and Johnny, I'd say this knocks spots off that, and it's, it's amazing to hear those words <laughs> come out of my mouth. I just thought he'd, this is an important epic for me because it's the chance to see those two together. I loved how he wrote Dread; like he writes him totally right. He's a leader. He's tenacious. He's hard. He's uncompromising, but without being silly. And that's the mistake that lots of Dread writers make. And he he does make it. He makes it in that terrible, kind of dead man at the end where he just shoots that poor citizen through the head for no reason. (laughs) And you're just like, why? Why do they keep doing that? But in terms of that epic itself, I thought he wrote Dread skillfully and really played the Garth's strengths because it was like a war epic wasn't it like you said but I think one of the problems of it was that it came and it went like we had massive fallout from Necropolis we had massive fallout from the Apocalypse War that, that sort of had ramifications for decades this we had nothing other than that one terrible kind of dead man story and it's a shame because they could have it, you know, it could have been so much better if it was if it was handled better. But as I said, the nineties were a strange time. Editorial teams were, weren't very experienced, and I think a different editorial team would have made more of it.
0: Uh, well, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, it, you know, it, it, I think it's an interesting epic. That's the thing. Yeah, um, it has its highs and its lows. Yes. I, I thought it did waste some of the, uh, you know, the great tension that it builds up yep. towards the end of the story. But when you get the, the trio of Dread Alpha and, um, uh, Honda City Judge Sadu together, they're fantastic. Yeah. Um, and as you say, Garth Ennis writes them so well together. There's this sort of growing, grudging respect between all three of them. Yeah. You know, there's that awful moment when Sadhu's had his arm sort of chopped off and he cauterizes the wound. Yeah. With his own... Blazer and Alpha just looks and says, "Hard man." And Dread says, mm. mm yeah,
1: yep, yeah. I know." Oh, it's fantastic. Yes, I'd, I'd have that written down. Yeah, which is again, it's 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 Wagner's headshot grim. Like it, I think Garth really got Dread. I really do. And and reading that the interview at the back, I think he's really harsh on himself.
0: Yes, he is. He's quite critical about his early yeah. days. We talked about this when I did that. True Faith book with Alex Frith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Garth is very harsh on that as well, with his early he quite you know, he's quite sort of critical of his early works, which is um I think sometimes he's been unfair on himself.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so you've mentioned that you own the Colin McNeil page and <laughs> Top Dogs of Dread punching Alpha, which yep. is a great page, a stonker. Do you own any other pages from Judgment Day itself?
1: <sighs> oh, I used to, used to, huh? and I, I uh, gave it away pretty much to to Rob Stewart, lovely oh, right. lad. Okay, yeah, um, his book of records. Yes, sure. that's the one. I, I gave him it for for what I'd paid for it, and I'd paid very little for it, but it was dread. With the, um, the big gun. Oh, right. The Widowmaker. Yeah. Um, issued the senior judges for on street evaluation conclusion effective. And it's, <laughs> it's Carlos, uh, Dredd sort of firing along a line of zombies. And it's a beautiful page. And I remember being shocked at how vibrant it was in real life. And, and the books never. Never get that. It's about halfway through. Beautiful page.
0: Oh, lovely! I, do, I, do, I had it a minute ago, but yeah. yes, uh, I'll have to find it. Anyway, I'll, I'll put perhaps an image of that one up as well as the uh, Colin McNeil <laughs> <and> Alfred <laughs> page.
1: Just to upset. Us. So <laughs> let's
0: not let's not give you that page back because I are going to deprive uh,
1: Rob of his uh, his record.
0: What about a Grail page now from
1: this book? Well, there's absolutely no competition. Um, it's the final page. Who the hell's gonna mess with us? <laughs> we-, we thought it might come up. Yeah, Pete, didn't Dredd we? Yes. Johnny stepping out into the cursed earth, and Carlos riffed on that, didn't he? With um, a really nice dread and Rico cover. Yes, many did, years yes. later, that was beautiful. Uh, but that page, whoever's got that, is a a very lucky person.
0: Yeah, that's an absolute gorgeous single splash page at yeah. the end, with as you say.
1: But then yeah. the other one, sort of four pages before that, that uh, beyond uh, the title one of those, page, of yeah, dread sort of bloodied and beaten. We see him. I like the sequence of you can see the sort of darkness where he's sort of dreads eye view as he's knocked out, and then it starts to get clarity, and then it switches to dread, But it's a beautiful there. Uh, Beautiful image, but no, it's who the hell's going to mess with us? Of course it is. It was always going to be
0: fantastic. So what a page! Yes, I thought it would probably come. <laughs> as you say, Carlos did riff on it a few times. Earlier. Yeah, I know there was commissions that various people had mm-hmm. done uh, or got him to do. rather Yeah, but, uh, also did it, but yeah, Dread and Rico as well. Uh, fantastic. So there we are. We'll award you that one in the virtual Hooray! gallery. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> would you pick any of the covers?
1: yeah, um that, the dread and alpha cover that that yeah. we've already talked about is just seven nine six yep yeah seven nine six amazing.
0: So I thought that you would probably pick that page. <laughs> so I was looking through the book because I wanted to pick a Carlos page. Um, you know, we're about just over a year on from the sad loss of Carlos, but also I wanted to pick a page that featured Judge Hershey and I was going to go for one I sent you earlier, which was her beating up on the Doomsayer yeah. I mentioned earlier on, but I found the other page I wanted, which is it's in Judgment Day Part 16, which is unfortunately the Singing Zombies one, oh, but there's dear. a flash there's a sort of yes. quick, quick shift of scenes back to Mega City One, and it's Hershey sort of with one of those Widowmaker guns. It's like their last stand. Yeah. And this is where I thought, you know, this is where you get the feeling that the tent, the stakes are really high. You know, the planet's yeah. last stand. And as somebody's saying Judge Hershey, and she's saying, "I'm busy, damn yeah. it." Yeah. <laughs> and there's a panel below that where she's saying about the citizens. And she says, well, if I'm any judge, yeah. they're probably all out <laughs> <at> looting. <laughs> and she just says, great line, do your job. Yep. So I think I'm going to pick that page, actually, because it's got Sabat on it at the bottom as well. But um, for this last year, I think, you know, obviously we'd like a Carlos page. And, of course, if you've current events in the prog, um, I'd like a Judge Hershey
1: page as well. Uh, yeah. Um, he drew up phenomenally sexy, didn't he?
0: He did, yes.
1: <laughs> that, was, I got, that was something that surprised us when I, when I read it, um, just how attractive she was.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, She gives you funny feelings in the uh, Pete Wells pants. <laughs> you won't mention the pseudopods.
1: <laughs> <No>. Oh, Hershey. <laughs> yeah. P.G. was on to something, wasn't he? He was, yes. <laughs> so I will...
0: Post up images of all these glorious uh, Carlos and Colin McNeil pages and some of the cover images when this episode comes out. And you can get your own copy of Judgment Day. Or actually, I say that because the Hashtag hardback is now out of stock, unfortunately, although I dare say you can pick it up on the second-hand places. Yeah, it is, of course, it's all in Case Files volume 17, which is 1999 paperback or 999 digital from the two thousand eighty store. store. Uh, and I guess there's also the Titan um, edition, but that's quite pricey now I looked at because that's long
1: out of print as well, I think, isn't it, Pete? All right. Nice early computer Carlos covers for, for one of them, wasn't it? I think it was the Hamlin one.
0: Oh, I have yes. got that one in front of me.
1: Right. Mm, that was nice. <laughs> okay.
0: And, of course, the Hashette volume has got an introduction by Matt Smith. It's got that Garth Ennis uh, interview at the back by Mike Mulcher, and it's got the covers as well. So, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah. And, of course, it has got the Grail page of all Grail pages in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is going to this? <laughs> so, Pete, a, you know, a perhaps... Um, a mega epic that's due a reappraisal
1: by some fans, would you say? Yeah, I would say read it. Skip those episodes with the singing zombies and you've got yourself a, a cracking story there. Unfortunately.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. A nation waits in, uh, you know, holds its breath and waits to see what you'll pick next time, Pete. It's been a while, actually. It's been about it has. 40, 40 episodes since you were last on. I was looking. Wow. Uh, too many people queuing up, but never mind. Anyway, you're back, and we've discussed some um, interesting uh, yeah. Garth Ennis stuff and some great art by a variety
1: of artists. It's a tremendous podcast you've got here, Eamon. I love listening to it.
0: Oh, thank you very much, Pete. <laughs> Checks in the post. <laughs> Talking of tremendous podcasts, it's yeah. guest projects time, and I think since last time... You've got your own venture in the world of podcasting, Pete.
1: Yes. Well, yes, I have. So, my me, um, me dear job is a, a special needs teacher. And I teach very profoundly um, disabled uh, young adults and and adults. And my favourite part of my job, obviously, with a, a lifetime of reading 2000 AD, is storytelling. So... I've made a little bit of a name for myself for writing sensory stories for those profoundly um physically and mentally disabled people. So it's taking a story, distilling it down to its absolute um basics, and then reinforcing whatever's happening in that story through a sensory prop, be that something to smell, taste, feel, listen to, see, and and many other senses, but they tend we tend to focus on the famous five. Um, and so, my podcast is a sensory stories podcast where I'll tell one of my stories and then break it right down and, and explain what props you would use, but then the the cognitive or educational benefits for for using that prop. And it's, it's lots of fun. I thoroughly enjoy doing it. Uh, I usually get a quite a nerdy guest on as well from the world of education. So I've had some some of my little educational heroes on there, which is quite nice. Um, and I've discovered that the more nervous I am, the just the cheekier and more disrespectful I get to them. So that's <laughs> often fun to listen to. So it's, yes, the Pete Wells Sensory Stories podcast, if anyone's... Uh, enough to listen to it's it's very niche but i like to think it's entertaining
0: it's excellent stuff so i will put the uh link in the show notes but it's
1: centurystoriespodcast.com i believe yes that's the website for it and then you can download some of my stories from there so the stories that i do i would then very very crudely animate just in in like powerpoint um and then in my classrooms and and Thankfully, these get used all over the world. So in classrooms across the world, they would have specialist-adapted switches set up so the students can press a switch with the the knee or the eyebrow or the little finger or whichever extremity they can move, and then they can tell the story. So you can download all of that nonsense to go with a story. So they're all very silly, and I think 2000 AD is... Um, been a big inspiration in, in allowing us to, to sort of to have an imagination of my own but also to distill those stories down that the very very basics so thanks to Tharg for that.
0: The power of comics Pete. Yep. <laughs>
1: yep. We keep banging the drum um,
0: and yeah it's remarkable you know that you can use your imagination then to do this great work uh, with the Century Stories and the Century Stories podcast.
1: Yes it's great I get the Prance about in tutus, spraying people in the face with water cannons. It's excellent, <laughs>
0: and that's just your day job. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, of course, was I was going to ask you what was going to happen with the AD Covers Uncovered blog uh, when it would return. And as we record, it has yes, literally, since I wrote the outline a week or so ago, it has returned. It
1: has. And good news, um, it's going to be a bit of a double act now. Um, so I've got a, a few projects going on in, in my life at the moment that I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, but it means that I can't devote me time to to covers uncovered, unfortunately. However, um, I spoke to Mike, and so Richard Bruton, who does the Forbidden Planet blog, he's going to do the Prog covers, and I said I still wanted to keep me handed, so I'm going to do all the magazine covers.
0: Oh, right, okay.
1: So watch this space. I'm just waiting back to hear off. Mr. Cliff Robinson, at the, at the, you know, as we record, and I've already got my puns lined up. <laughs>
0: <It's> Fantastic. <laughs> so he's just,
1: Richard Bruton's
0: just done one with Cliff Robinson. Yes, he has. Judge that uh, Stonkin Judge Fire cover that he did. Yep, and he did. It by he, Dylan Teague. Yep,
1: did a great job.
0: Yeah, and Cliff Robinson himself was quite funny.
1: Wasn't he? Just he was brilliant. Yes, and he always was. Um, Cliff was always one of my favorites. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what he comes back with because he's done the the current Meg one. So I was just, done, yeah, the magazine
0: cover as well. Yes,
1: yes, and I've already got me uh, me pun ready for that. I realised by the time this goes out, it'll be old news, but it's going to be something about. Um, so if you think about the cover, it's um, a load of a family of robots on fire. And so my pun is going to be something about the family barbecue. <laughs> right. <laughs> we look forward to it. Um, yeah,
0: so fantastic. Yes, because Cliff Robinson, he's done the Judge Fire. He's got the magazine cover. Dylan Teague's coloured them both. And, of course, Dylan Teague's had his own cover on the prog. Oh,
1: or, um, that was beautiful, Alfred, wasn't, wasn't
0: it? T. Beautiful cover. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, great to see Dylan Teague doing so much work, cover work as well. Yep. So, fantastic. So, if you want to find out more about that Judge Fire cover, go to the 2000AD site to the news section where you'll find the Covers Uncovered blog. And uh, by the time this podcast is out, hopefully there'll be one or two more up there, Pete. Should be, yes. Fantastic. Excellent stuff. So, Pete... We've unfortunately made a bit of a tradition of recording these podcasts on the eve of huge world events. We did one the night before the 2016 referendum, I think, and before uh, Trump's election in 2016. Um, It's October 22nd, (laughs) and Parliament is sitting, um, and who knows, we could be facing our own
1: judgment day. Dear me, it's appalling. <laughs> and it's all our fault, Ian. And I it's can't believe it. To do these <laughs> uh, still, we have
0: the power of comics to inspire us to produce century stories and great podcasts. Yes, we do. Uh, people <laughs> enjoy. Thanks very much, Pete, for coming back. Thanks uh, for having us back. I've loved it. It's always great uh, to have the official art correspondent of this podcast uh, (laughs) cropping up from time to time. You're a very popular guest, and people do tell
1: me that they love a bit of Pete Wells. (laughs) Shame the uh, the art competition people don't agree. (laughs) It's controversial stuff. It is. (laughs) I think it's like some form of artistic Tourette's I've got.
0: (laughs) Still, oh
1: well, there you go. You'll be you'll be pressing the flesh at
0: Thought Bubble, and um, <laughs> undoing all the all the harm that you've yes. done, um, <laughs> trying to apologise to all the people. <laughs> uh, and if you see if you do see Pete today at Thought Bubble, speak quietly. Uh, yes, <laughs>
1: ahead, be like nice. <laughs>
0: And thank you to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. As ever, find us at megacitybookclub.com. Find Pete at centurystoriespodcast.com and on the AD news site. You can find this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the 2000AD forums. And you can get in touch with me by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com to get in touch with your own thoughts about Judgment Day or any other books that you'd like to see come up on the podcast or you'd like to pick yourself and go on the waiting list for next year, hopefully. And that'll do us, Pete. Hey! So until next time on Megacity Book Club, when we're passing judgment on another fine 2008 e-book, it's goodbye from me and goodbye
1: from the other me. <laughs>